0: And welcome to the episode of Dio Talk. I'm Deal. Let's Talk. My guest at the evening uh, is an author. Uh, he has this brand new book out that's called Why You Feel the Way You Do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, give a warm welcome to Renew Ah,
1: Good. Thank you for bringing me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. It's an honor having you. I do apologize again if I bought your name, by the way. Um, nah, it
1: took me about five years to figure it out myself. So,
0: oh, man. <laughs> Um so you have this great book out, um, oh. but it, it's not your first book that you have uh, published, correct?
1: Right, yeah. No, I, I, I was a counselor uh, specializing in anxiety disorders, so my first one was on that, uh, Anxiety, Phobias, and Panic. And then did another one on anger, and then did, did another follow-up on anxiety, and uh, then this
0: one. So Awesome. So... So, what inspired you to to uh, write this book right now that you're you're out? What 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 initiated you to do the research and gather information?
1: Well, actually, I, I had a former client came to me and said she had a publisher interested in having me do a book, and so I said okay. So I got to thinking about what I wanted to do it on. So I thought I've I've been just fascinated with emotions ever since I was a little kid. So i figured let's do that gave me a chance to do catch up on all the current research that's going on which is actually very interesting something some exciting things happening in what they call affective uh, neurobiology affective is just a fancy word for emotions and uh so right. that's kind of how it got the genesis of this particular book
0: wow i know I, I earlier i was on your website and uh i was watching you have a couple of uh videos there breaking down certain emotions uh uh the one of the first one you have there's anger right which is uh something that, that we all go through right um, right right what are, what are what are some things that that you have able to find regarding anger that is people are not aware about
1: well I, anger and fear are the flip sides of the same coin both have to do with threat mm. and yeah, so fear uh well it depends on how you perceive the the threat if you perceive it as something that's manageable, you'll tend to get angry and take it out. If you perceive it as unmanageable, then you want to get away from it. And again, I use the words anger and fear in a very broad sense. So anger could be just irritation. I'm irritated. So please stop, stop, uh, quit stopping on my toes or it can be rage. Fear can be just apprehension. I got to interview coming up i'm not sure about how i'm going to do on that or it can be you know grizzly bear coming at me panic type of fear so it's all the God. same emotional circuit it's just you know we have a lot of words for it but it's just the same how far the dial is turned up or down and again it all has to do with threat threat can be real or threat can be imaginary or perceived i should say not and we see a lot of that nowadays with the politics and just all of the other crazy stuff going on people see threats all over the place which may or may not be real so that triggers a lot of the anger and anxiety you see in in our culture
0: wow yes i know i know you you uh in the video you break down uh i can't remember exactly the the wording of it but it's like a myth or something along the lines and where um when you're angry it's not uh, venting doesn't help
1: no, venting is just practicing being angry. Uh, I get anger as as threat, and how you respond when you're angry is a learned behavior pattern. And you learn that partly from your family you grew up in, partly from the culture you grow into, uh, you know, your surroundings. Uh, if you grow up uh, in a really rough neighborhood, being angry helps you survive because you get a reputation. You know, you get in my face, you're going to be sorry, and that's yeah. a survival benefit, right? Yeah, get in in a middle-class business situation now that's not going to be so useful it's going to get you in trouble a lot so depending upon uh where you grow up and how you grow up that determines how you express your anger and you can change that you don't have to stay stuck with the same patterns all your life although unfortunately most people do because they just never see the need to change or don't think about changing uh and i i like to say Emotions and anger is you need to act upon it, not act it out. So mm-hmm. since anger is all about threat, the idea is you need to identify the threat and then figure out how do I get rid of that threat? And I like to think of it in, with the least amount of harm to myself and others. We, we call that assertive behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes uh, being aggressive is important. You know, if I'm a police officer and I'm chasing somebody with a gun, then I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive about that. Or if I get, you know, if I'm a fireman and I need to direct traffic and there's some danger coming up, I may be a little bit more aggressive about that than I would if I'm just, you know, in a business meeting talking about something. So, you know, anger, sometimes it's appropriate to be at the higher end. Uh, Sometimes it's appropriate to be at the low end. You know, if I'm if I got to work and uh, I got some kids to feed and the boss really, you know, he's not very dispersive. uh, I may suppress my anger because I need that money for right now until I can find something better going on. So, you know, sometimes it's appropriate to suppress anger. Sometimes it's appropriate to amp it up. Most of the time, you want to use what we call assertive behavior. And again, how do I identify what the threat is, what do I need, and how do I put it out there in a way where I'm going to get what I want, again, with the least amount of harm to myself and others. You know, basically, getting direct messages, direct action, that type of stuff.
0: Got it. Got it. What um, because how do I say this? How, what are what what are some things that, and, and you know, in a regular individual can do to not suppress but overcome that anger?
1: Well, I think learning how to how to say what you want directly and in an in, and in an effective way. Uh, when you work like with couples, uh, there's a lot of things people do that are not effective. For example, people. When there's something wrong, we'll get fixated on what's wrong. You know, I don't want this. I don't want that. And I always say that the first step in being assertive is figuring out what you want. It's, it's interesting. Sometimes you'll, you'll work with a couple. You'll say, you know, this one person saying, well, that person does this and I can't stand it when that happens. And why are they doing that? And so she says, so what do you want in this situation? And eh, well, then they do that. So what do you want in this situation? And then I, you know, I don't really, sometimes it takes you 15, 20 minutes to get to what the person actually wants. Mm-hmm. So the first step is always figuring out what do I want in this situation? And then saying that in a way that's going to be effective without a lot of blaming and put downs, but just saying, this is what I want. And then sticking with that, because people tend to sidetrack yeah. you, right? Yeah. They'll say, uh, one of the things that people say, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, and then, of course, you get an argument as to who is right about what they perceive. Mm-hmm. No. And so you come back with things like, uh, well, I can see we see things differently, but still I need you to be on time when you come to pick me up for work, or whatever it happens to be, right? Yeah. So you keep focusing on what you want in a very direct way, and don't get sidetracked on all these other things that people do. Which it's an art. It's something that you can practice and learn how to be more direct and you all know right. talk to people uh, so that you can express what you want directly, Got but, a, but in a way that's going to be effective.
0: Got it. So, what do you do? Like you, you mentioned, you're, you've helped your counselor. You help numerous marriages throughout your, your your twenty plus year career, right? Mm-hmm. What if you're stuck in a predicament where you're trying to have a dialogue? And, you know, the individual or the that other person, whether it's man or woman in a marriage, are always trying to justify, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. If I say, I don't like this, I don't want this, and this is the problem, mm-hmm. uh, and just trying to find a solution. But the response in return is always trying to justify X, Y, and Z. I'm not right. sure if, if I'm making sense.
1: Well, I, again... Some people are non-negotiators. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, a great point. I mean, you know, and this is the other thing is, is, is the other person willing to you know negotiate and, you know, in a fair way or not. And some people are unwilling uh, for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, some people are unable to uh, just because they're so caught up in their own drama and stuff that they can't see things in, in, in a more rational way so the first step is you got to decide this is the person you know a reasonable person that's willing to negotiate with me interestingly one of the best predictors that a relationship is going to fail is if one of the partner refuses to negotiate you bring Mm -hmm. up a problem and i don't want to talk about it you know or they walk away or or they'll do the type of stuff you're talking about where they're unwilling to really decide or really talk about something and negotiate a reasonable solution that's a big predictor that uh, this relationship is probably not going to last for a long term because you really do need to, to take a look at problems and, and resolve them. It, it's interesting that marriages kind of go through a cycle. And yeah. you know, When you meet somebody, you start off in that infatuation stage. And when you do like a, a brain scan, you find the frontal lobes are shut down, the emotional circuits all lit up, you know, and uh, everything this person does is just so wonderful. Oh, that little quirk they have, that's so wonderful. And then later on, you know, that little quirk becomes <laughs> a major issue, right? Uh, and So then after you go through that uh, infatuation stage, people tend to get into what we call the rule negotiation stage. You know, what are the rules for a relationship? You know, who turns down the heat? Who feeds the cat? You know, how do we do this? You know, and, you know, that requires some negotiation, right? And if you can get through that, and again, some some couples stay stuck, you know, for years in trench warfare over that and some couples dissolve at that point in time because this person is not getting me what I want. I don't feel that high anymore. Uh, but if you can get through that, then then you get into some uh, real nice uh, intimacy with a person. And that's again assuming this person is capable of inter- intimacy, because not everybody is. Some people are really damaged from their background or have things going on, or not, they're not willing or not able to have an intimate relationship. You know, to negotiate, have reasonable limits, and that sort of thing. And that's one of the things that uh, when you work with young people out looking for, you know, somebody in a relationship, Mm -hmm. you need to evaluate early on. And this will be a very unpopular thing to see, but especially for women, do not have sex early on. Because as soon as you start getting intimate, again, the, the frontal lobe starts shutting down and emotions take over. Happens also with guys, but it seems to be stronger with women in terms of the brain scan stuff that they've done so take some time evaluate is this person capable of intimacy and you start looking for things like uh, how does this person deal with disappointment do they blow up do they get crazy you know do they you know are are they able to handle disappointments when i want to go someplace and this person wants to go someplace else are we willing to work it out i want to have chinese you want to have you know uh, Mexican food. Okay, how are we going to work that out? Well, maybe we can do yours this tonight and we'll do mine tomorrow, you know. Okay, that's a reasonable situation, you know, negotiation, but maybe the person's not willing to do that. So, those are the kinds of things that unfortunately people don't look at. You know, they're looking for excitement or they're looking for somebody that's uh, you know, gets the biochemical thing going on inside their brain and uh you know, they 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 get into that intimate Stuff too early before they get a chance to really evaluate is this going to be a reasonable relationship? So that would just be some piece of advice I, I threw out for people that are in the in that process of looking for it. Oh, the other thing is is consider the pond you're fishing in, right? Mm-hmm. If you're fishing in a lot of singles bars, you're going to get a different quality of people than if you're fishing in, let's say, a bicycling club or uh, you know some other kind of social group or church or thing of that nature. So you know, the pond you fishing is going to determine the fish you catch, right?
0: Yeah, I, I agree 100.
1: No mystery with that one. No, no, yeah, yeah. The, I, I, don't think, I don't think we're going to go into the relationship thing at this point <laughs> in time. Uh, the other thing that I should mention is is if you come out of a difficult background, mm-hmm. you know, with abuse or whatever, uh, keep in mind that you walk into relationships with blinders on. People that have been raised in a healthy family they just naturally sense when the other person, there's something wrong there. Okay. But if you have a crazy background you come out of, you walk into crazy and it feels okay. In fact, you can take a person from a difficult background, uh, let's say a woman, and you put her into a room with uh, 20 guys, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Within 15, 20 minutes, she'll be talking to the guys that come from the same kind of background she comes from. And the way that works is it's an unconscious thing. Uh, She gets around people that have appropriate uh, boundaries, appropriate disclosure, that type of stuff, and they feel funny. She gets around somebody with a similar background. It feels familiar. And everybody at this point in time is presenting well, right? Mm -hmm. So, But still there's that unconscious vibes that they're giving off, the body language, the way they're talking and stuff. It feels in some way like home, okay? And so that feels familiar, Mm -hmm. and so that's part of why people tend to end up with somebody that's similar to you know where they come from. I mean, I, I come from a healthy background. All my friends come from healthy backgrounds. You know, we're all kind of similar that way. And people, uh, you know, I know when I've worked with people that come from difficult backgrounds, it's like all the friends come from that type of background too. Yeah. In fact, one, one of the things I'll oftentimes do with them, I'll say, okay, one of the things you need to do is identify one or two healthy people or people that come from, you know, healthy backgrounds and hang around them. And um, it's interesting, after we identify how do you identify healthy, how do you hang around them, their complaint is always the same, these people are so boring. You know, they're, they're, There's absolutely no drama in their life at all, right? <laughs> because oftentimes the, their background is one of drama, a lot of intensity. And so when there's not that intensity, it feels funny because at home, when things, the intensity dropped down, that means the other shoe was getting ready to drop, yeah, so they're kind of wired for that. So you know, but if they hang around it, what they find is after you know six months or so, it starts to feel really good, and they like that. It's kind of like when I worked with worked with anxiety clients, I would give them a relaxation response tape mm-hmm. and or CD nowadays, and um, or actually MP three, <laughs> <Yeah>. and uh, <laughs> you know, and they would and they would get anxious listening to it because the feeling of relaxation was so strange to them because they'd been anxious all their life. And so in the same way, if you're used to a lot of intensity and drama, feeling around just low-key comfort feels weird at first. And it's just, I I don't know what to do with this. But after a while, those circuits inside of you will respond to it. And it's like you start to get rewired from the inside out, just being in that company, you know, if you'll hang in there for a while. And and that's kind of partly, you know, how you get rewired too, is when you come out of it. I mean, obviously, there's things you can do therapeutic-wise and stuff, but part of that normalizing down the road is you got to start having some healthy relationships and being around people
0: who can do that. Got it. Got it. Which is difficult. I don't know, in my situation it's difficult.
1: <laughs> well, it, it it is. It is. You got to look for it and nowadays it's it seems like it's more difficult because you got a lot a lot of crazy stuff going on in the yeah, world. Yeah. And a lot of people that really don't know uh, you know, how to be healthy It was interesting I, I was listening to a program the other day and they're talking about the statistics of uh young men in uh in a poor neighborhood yeah and if it was a young white boy in a neighborhood they had a 60 percent chance of having a male father figure in their household if it was a young black man it was like four percent wow you know, and so statistics like that, you know, begin to show you this disintegration of the family and just the disruption values. of neighborhoods and stuff. You know, a person growing up in that type of environment, you know, they have to learn what it, what a normal relationship is all about.
0: I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, and, and those acts, you know, how do I say it? What is a normal relationships like there's in like media celebrities that the world is consumed with that you know what is a normal relationship if if you have you know famous people that are influential constantly getting divorced left and right sleeping with x y and z because a certain they were made uh they were made felt a certain type of way yeah we we uh, I, i feel in my opinion we there's no really role models that aspect.
1: Well, and that is the problem because it used to be everything in a child's environment reinforced the values that they needed to grow up and be a healthy and happy individual. And nowadays, whether we're talking about, you know, like you say, the media, music, everything seems to be opposite of what a child needs to grow up into a healthy individual. And it means parents need to, you know, make more of an effort Which is sad because I was reading another uh, article just the other day about how many parents are spending more time on their devices than they are with their kids. Yes, You you go out into the restaurant, you see both parents are on their device, the kids are on their device, and nobody's talking or interacting. Uh, Social media and Internet and stuff has some really neat things you can do with it. But it can be terribly destructive, too. I mean, with young people, one of the big things that's talked about nowadays is the fear of missing out. And a lot of kids have that because all of their relationships are, you know, focused on the media. They're seeing all these curated images of everybody having a better life than I'm having Mm-hmm. It's not really true. It just appears that way because you don't put your bad stuff up on the social media, right? You put that yeah. smiling face and this wonderful meal I had or this place I went to, or all these friends I'm out having a great time with. And so th- there's a lot of unreality that people are growing up in nowadays. And I know when I work with people, one of the things I suggest is, you know, number one, don't watch the evening news. Cut that off because I worked a lot with anxiety disorders. Yeah. So quit. Quit watching evening news. Get your news uh, 15, 20 minutes in the morning. You know, go online, find a site that aggregates all the news where you can look at the headlines, read whatever you want, but don't get it all that visual stuff. God, in fact, God. another another study I was reading in Europe, they had uh, people 18 to middle 20s reduce their social media by one hour a day. Mm-hmm. And after uh, a couple weeks, they were just a lot happier. Uh, on all their when they did the self-assessment course and a month later that maintained because they were doing other things other than social media that helped them just live a better life engaging with people or some activity like that
0: yeah i, I agree 100 percent and your and your new book uh why you feel the way that you do you mentioned that you explore the seven core emotions mm-hmm. uh can you can you elaborate what one of those seven emotions?
1: Right, and and again, a lot of misunderstanding over emotions, and so uh, neurobiologists they talk about affects, and an affect is a something a wiring inside of you that makes you want to do something. Okay, so the most basic affects are your sensory affects. So hunger, excuse me, pressure, uh, heat, uh, cold. Uh, if I'm sitting too long in one position, then I get I really need to adjust myself. And if I'm really cold all my attention and energy gets focused on getting warm, right? The next set is what's called the homeostatic affects. And homeostasis is just a fancy word for balance, keeping balance in your body. And those are things like hunger and thirst. Uh, if I The thirstier I get, the more I look for something to quench my thirst. The hungrier mm-hmm. I get, the more I have a drive and focus and all the other stuff kind of. They use my mind. I want to get something to eat, right? Yeah. Uh, and then your emotions are kind of like a, a, a next level up, and they get tied in, of course, to the thinking part of your brain. So think of emotions as they generate energy in your body. They, they, they activate you, and they create a desire to do something. A couple of the ones that uh, are less known, One one is something called seeking, and it's every baby, if you watch them, they want to explore the environment. They're chewing on things, they're looking on things, they're feeling things, you know, and and as they get older, they're they're just trying things out. And you look at any mammal, because we share these same circus with all the other, you know, mammals in the world, is it's the desire to see are there good things or are there dangers out in our environment. That's why when you sit in a room and if somebody walks in, everybody quickly sees who's going on. Or you go to like to the doctor's office or a you know, new office or something. The first thing you do is you just kind of glance around, check it all out. That's that emotional drive that wants you to see is is it safe or are there dangers? What's going on around there? And it's almost unconscious, but it is a driver inside of us. And it's what's underneath our curiosity as we get older too. And that's why we get curious. We want to find out about stuff. Yeah. And again, all these emotions can be, you know, dampened depending upon your childhood. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Another one that's kind of interesting is the uh, the play circuit, and uh, the guy that did a lot of this initial research, uh, Jacques Langseppe, uh, he was called the rat tickler because he was working with our rats, and he found he could turn off the thinking part of the rat's brain. They still wanted to play, and with mammals, it's how we learn social limits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I watch my three and a half year old granddaughter on Mondays and Tuesdays, and you know, one of her favorite games is tickle me, right? and but just you know in all of the play sometimes she does too much and so hey that's too much and even as adults we like to interact with that play right that circuit's still there and that's part of how we can learn how how to how to work with each other we learn a lot about limits and interacting through our play circuit uh the ones that we're more familiar with of course are the anger and the fear for the threat there's another fear circuit uh that they call panic, but really we know it as uh, separation anxiety with babies. Uh, when the parent separates, is not visible to the child. A lot of times they'll get, they'll, they'll go into distress, right? They'll start crying and that triggers the caring circuit in the adult. And so that's part of what under underlies our tying us together as adults. And that's why we miss people in their ways that that separation anxiety or panic circuit, you know, part of, part of what bonds us is as adults. And then, of course, there's the lust circuit, which we all know about—puberty when that gets activated, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, so, so a lot. So, four of these circuits are all about relationship, and mm-hmm. that's one of the things, unfortunately, that a lot of people lack nowadays. In fact, uh, in, in the book, I, I wrap up with the uh, the three things that make people happy, and the big one beyond everything else is having meaningful relationship. Yes. If you've got somebody. That accepts you as you are, you can be transparent with, uh, and have a great you know relationship, and you interact with them on a regular basis. Probably you're not going to have to worry too much about your mental health. But unfortunately, a lot of people go through their entire day without one meaningful social interaction, other than maybe on you know Facebook or something like that. And that's really not meaningful. Not what I mean by a face to face interaction. In fact, I-, I was watching another study that talked about how much more rewarding on just a biochemical basis when they measure the different stuff inside of a person, a face-to-face interaction is as opposed to a uh, like a Zoom meeting or something like that. Because again, a lot of our communication is nonverbal. Uh, little kids read adults just like a cat or a dog. They, they, they know your body language, your tone of voice, all that stuff. We become very uh, tuned into language as we get older. And so we tend not to be as aware of that unconscious communication that's going on, yeah. although it's still there. We still pick it up, which is why we get vibes about people. And the, the simple example I often use is, I uh, use the simple phrase, I love you. I can say, I love you. Okay. Hey, I love you. Hey, I love you, guy. And you know what each one of those means without me explaining it because it's wired into you and you you've learned that as you grew up, how to read that kind of unconscious, you know, uh, message underneath the words. God. So, so yeah. So, so those are the, uh, the seven basic, uh, ones your uh, what play, uh, uh seeking lust, uh, the two uh, fear circuits, danger and then separation anxiety and then anger. And uh, then the caring circuit, uh, And then, you know, one other thing I might add is emotions, in addition to being messages about needs that motivate you and generate energy and focus, is they're also the way the brain indexes information. Mm -hmm. So the brain is always making associations, even from the time you're in the womb. And whenever there's something that's very positive or very negative, there's an emotional tag that gets put on that association or memory, if you will and what that does is the brain uses that as as it manages your life because again most of what's going on is unconscious if i'm driving a car if i'm walking down the road my brain is not only coordinating my body but it's you know all the things it's learned how to do it's doing automatically it's a looking out for dangers anything you know truck goes by oh that association comes up and i check it out you know uh it's all that's going on at an unconscious level while well, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm going to have for lunch, you know, what's on TV tonight or whatever, things of that nature. And when things that, uh, like if I grew up in, in, in a difficult, uh, violent uh, childhood, then a lot of things that normally are okay, a lot of times they will get that emotional tag as danger. And so we call those uh, um, uh, emotional um, uh, triggers, right? So maybe a tone of voice or certain types of uh, situations in the past were dangerous. Now, when I get in that situation, my brain is going to put me on alert and make me anxious because it's expecting something bad to happen.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I suffer I suffer that a lot. Yeah. I, I suffer uh, the tone of voice. Like, I have a problem in where, like, I dislike Taking craft from people. Yeah. Like, and I realize it. <laughs> I, I realize <laughs> no, 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 nobody really enjoys that, I don't think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think, like, I, it's only when I, 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 I want to say it got worse when I got married, yeah. you know, responsibility in life and life and children, and where, like, I, you know, I cannot tolerate, like, it's only much I can take. If now I'm gonna, it's like a, a light switch is gonna flip. I'm gonna flip, and you yeah. know, if I'm if I, if I I'm spoken to a certain uh, a degree, a certain I I I get defensive. If I hear too much slamming, I get triggered. Like yeah. it, it uh, if noises uh, become unbearable, like too overwhelming, I, I, it's like a, a level of sensitivity within my ears that now I start feel getting aggravated.
1: Right. Um, well, and 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 again, I'm I'm guessing there's probably some stuff in your background that helped contribute to that. Uh, but the way you deal with it, and again, this is, this there's a lot, whole lot of stuff, right? But I'll mm-hmm. try to simplify it with a few things. Number one, when we talk about anger as a behavior, when I work with people who have a short fuse, one of the things that they need to get locked into place is stopping stopping when they when the, the anger first comes up uh like if you work with couples uh the first thing you want to lock into place is a walk away strategy when you're angry you need to stop walk away calm down and then assess the situation and depend upon whether there's something you need to take care of or whether this is coming you know from the past or some other yeah. place so when you look at people who manage situations and anger well you'll notice that they, they tend to pause for a second and kind of
0: Take a deep breath.
1: Get 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 the the, the the thinking part of their brain hooked in. Because when emotion first flares up, your thinking part of your brain kind of shuts off for, for a little bit. And you kind of go on to that automatic learn behavior patterns. So you got to regain that. And that's the first thing you need to do is to stop and do it. And the other thing is be aware of your action point. I know when I've done parenting classes, this is something I'm really big on is there's a point where you take action. So like with kids, you know, you'll see this, you know, how many times have I told you? I've told you, okay, I'm telling you again. Okay, (laughs) quit making me tell you. I'm going yeah, at some point in time, you act, right? And with being an effective parent, one of the things we used to talk about is, number one, you need to have a plan of action. And if you set a limit, you need to act now, not wait, and not give a lot of warnings not what we call shooing flies but if you're willing to if it's a real limit you need to take action otherwise your words don't mean anything your kids learn to be parent deaf right you see that with a lot of kids they ignore their parents until they get really crazy and red in the face and then they they've learned that's when i better start doing something right so if so if you act early on then they 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 learn that you mean what you say
0: so in other words you can't you can't be a pushover
1: right and so the same thing is is take looking at are are you noticing that you need to take action earlier on or are you sitting on it for a long time until you get to the boiling point right because it may be sometimes that you need to identify that i need to take care of this do some kind of assertive yeah. behavior early on before i get to that kind of aggressive and crazy behavior yeah. right uh so that's that's one one of the pieces sometimes you have to look at is where's my action point do i do I say something early on or do, do I sort of sit and wait for
0: it? You know, See, I, I, I have a, a, uh, like I, how do I say this? Uh, I have trouble connecting with individuals sometimes because I, I'm not the type of person this, this is not baseball. I don't give you, uh, three strikes. Right. I, I tell you once and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to inform you, uh, what Uh, the things you're doing or things you're saying is not to my liking. I'm not going to wait to, you know, my thirst strike. I'm going to tell you right there. Okay. okay. right. So, but also like I've been told and we're like a ticking time bomb. I went one time to a therapist very young and we're like, I am individual that I keep holding and holding and holding and holding. Which Which
1: is what I was just saying, right? Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, is if you're not taking care of business in one area of your life, mm-hmm. it's, going to, it's going to spill out in the other area.
0: Yes, yes, and, that, and, and
1: it'll tend to make you a short fuse in that. And so, sometimes part of it is learning to keep what I call short accounts. When things come up in your life, you know, deal with it. And if you've been fine and you've been, you know, blowing up a lot or you've been more emotional than normal, then I say let's go through the checklist. Okay, mm-hmm. how is your primary relationship? How's your uh, work going? How's kids doing? Uh, friendships? Anything important happen lately? Um, anything out, out of the ordinary? Right. And a lot of times people will say, well, this happened, but it wasn't that big a deal. Well, your reaction is telling me it was a big deal and you didn't take care of it. So let's, mm. let's talk about how you can deal with that issue. And a lot of times it's relationship stuff, you know, um, either... You know, relationship's not going well. You're not keeping the right boundaries, you know, with a person. You know, you're not able to connect with a person on yeah. intimate level like you want, things of that nature. And then that tends to spill over into other stuff. And so kind of going through that laundry list of your life and deciding where am I not taking care of business? And maybe I, that's where I need to address stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that helps with the other areas.
0: Got it. And I was reading at your buyer and your website, you you have a, you not specialized, but you're aware, and informed when it comes to anxiety.
1: Well, yeah, I, I did specialize. That actually was my main work, is I worked with anxiety disorders for mm-hmm. twenty years.
0: In your and your professional opinion, why is anxiety always something that exists? And if so, why now in present time? It, it's you know, it's it, if it was a stock, it skyrock the stock is skyrocketing. Why?
1: Well, anxiety again, it's just low level fear, and anxiety is a part of life. Mm-hmm. Okay, because we encounter all kinds of threats all all the time uh what you find again nowadays is there's a lot of things that's causing both anxiety and depression to increase, especially among the younger population. Number one is what we talked about just a few minutes ago about lack of real relationship mm-hmm. uh, a real fundamental core need is not being taken care of. There's also a lot of irrational thinking going on nowadays. People are getting caught up into a lot of different kinds of irrational thinking with the extreme politics uh, and just all the other crazy stuff that's going on in our world. People are not thinking things through in a rational way. In fact, I find a lot of people come out of our schools and they don't know how to problem solve in a rational and realistic way. Mm. And so they tend to do a lot of what we call emotional reasoning. If it feels right or if it feels this way, then that must be true. Uh, did you use a negative example with uh, my anxiety clients? Uh, they a lot of times would fear uh, passing out if they hyperventilated and had a lot of panic attacks and stuff like that. And so let's say I would say, So, how, what are the odds of you passing out if you go to the grocery store? And they'd say something like, uh, Oh, maybe 50%. So that I'd ask them, so how many times have you passed out in your life? Well, I've never passed out. So based on what they felt, it felt likely. Based upon reality, it was very low. The second thing they would do is they would overestimate how bad it would be. So how bad would it be if you passed out in the grocery store? Oh, gosh, that would. On a scale of 1 to 10, that's probably a 20. Worst thing I can imagine in my life. So let's talk about uh, something that's really bad, like uh, having your kid killed, having a wasting disease, getting your arm cut off, something like that. Compared to that, how bad is passing out in the grocery store? Oh, really? It goes way down the scale, right? Mm -hmm. So emotional reasoning, you overestimate how bad something's going to be, and you overestimate how likely it's going to be. And when you watch n- evening news, and if you spend a lot of your time in talk shows, everything's a crisis, everything's awful, it's the worst thing in the world. And when you sit down and really look at it logically, you find, no, <laughs> it's not. Uh, but that's the way things are presented nowadays. And so people have this kind of mindset of doing a lot of emotional reasoning. And so that, going back to the example of the um, passing out, then we'd actually talk it through. So, Let's talk about what you could do if you were to pass out and then let's compress all that into a simple self-talk. Okay. The odds are low. Wouldn't it be the worst thing in the world? I got my breathing, my other things I can do. And it's probably not going to happen anyway. So uh, I don't need to be overly concerned. And then you distract yourself. Um, Finding things to do in life that are nurturing and good for you is important. And a lot of people don't do that. They're busy in this histrionic, this high anxiety, high fear, high, you know, uh, stuff all the day. And if, if you spend like, you know, five, six hours a day listening to talk shows, watching the news, surfing the media and doing that type of stuff, you're going to be wound up. Yeah. As simple as that. Just being quiet. You know, this is why the mindfulness movement is so popular. Just this idea of being quiet and mindful for short periods of time. There's so much for you, and people don't get that nowadays you know yeah know.
0: i i have been told that uh uh not scary because you know be, besides you know creating a talk show and where it's all about yeah. talking yeah. i I find myself majority of my time just staying quiet and really analyzing but also just taking my surroundings mm-hmm. yeah I think you know silence it, it's a virtue. Uh, uh, it's not for everyone, but well, and, I, I and, tend to enjoy it. Most and being quiet
1: doesn't yeah. mean you have to be silent, right? You, yeah. can, be doing, you can be doing activity. Uh, a lady I knew that was ADD uh, and her, her best time was like mowing the lawn with a, with a hand lawnmower. She says, I got more thinking than when I was doing that, when I'm doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it could be an activity. I, I play guitar. I enjoy, you know, thinking and doing stuff like that. So, uh a quiet activity doesn't need need to be necessarily quiet. It just needs to be something that calms you. And that's different for different mm. people, right? Some yeah. people get really energized just going out with a friend, you know, for a cup of coffee or meal or something, or just, you know, sitting down and talking. I mean, people used to have a lot of time to do that. You live in a village or you lived on your block, your neighborhood or a small town where you knew a lot of people, you know, you lived up, you grew up with them most of your life. And nowadays we're just, you know you you're not living where you used to. you go move to different places for work or whatever, and people are very isolated and so these basic human needs that we have are not getting taken care of, and so we shove entertainment, we shove excitement into that that space that really is looking for a relationship
0: yeah,
1: and again, that's part of what you see with our society nowadays, why you get so much crazy stuff going on
0: right is it is it any way? that we can identify like, because a lot of, a, a lot of individuals would probably have meaningful relationship, but they don't know how to identify. They haven't either. They don't know values because of the culture or. They just don't know how to identify it. Like Right. Right. So how, how, how do you identify healthy? Well,
1: um, again, the book, I've got like about 20 different things that, characterize a healthy family nobody has all of them okay but if you have a bunch of them then um, you're doing good so uh, simple things like uh, do i feel safe around this person if i tell them something about myself that's embarrassing or that was difficult are they going to come back around use that against me somewhere down the road right Mm -hmm. or are they going to spread it around in places that i don't want to so can i can i have disclosure with this person talk about stuff without it getting used against me or being beaten over the head or embarrassed by it uh does this person have my back you know in in daily life you know so um gee i had an incident where i needed to be taken down to the er just a little while ago i had a friend called up my wife was out of town so he took me down you know it's great to have people like that in my life that i can rely upon um and a lot of times when you look at your family of origin, if you didn't have people like that in your family of origin, then again, you don't have people like that around you right now. Uh, that whole sense of intimacy, can I be quiet with this person and have, and by intimacy, I'm not talking necessarily about sex, but I'm talking about, you know, can we share things with the one another, right? That's a really important thing. Along with this idea of being safety, uh, do I have fun with this person? Are they enjoyable? Do we have some shared interest is always important if you're going to have a relationship. Is there some way, uh, something, some area of your life, music or sports or a hobby or something that you share? Which is why a lot of times when you're looking for, you know, friends that are going to be meaningful, you go to like a bicycling club or some other kind of, you know, dance group or some other kind of a hobby or interest that you have And that gives you a a place where you have people that have shared interests. Now I can, that's a pool of people. I can start looking for people, uh, you know, that I can start to have a relationship with. Uh, If you don't have any good friends in your uh, orbit, if you will, understand that most people have already filled out their dance card. Uh, in the old days, you'd go to a dance, and you have this card, and people would write down, okay, I'm going to do the waltz, I'm going to do the Foxtrot, you know, you have like a dance card, mm-hmm. right? And I, I used to tell people that, I mean, we, it's been, you know, 100 years since we did that, but I use that analogy because when I'm looking for friends, I need to understand that most people, their dance card is full. Mm-hmm. You don't have so many really intimate relationships in your life, you know, it's just, uh, just and, and that's that's appropriate, you know, you got a lot of casual friends, you have three or four good friends, at least two maybe. Uh, and the rest are going to be, you know, not as in, not as uh, intense as that. And maybe that you're trying to make friends, ask somebody out for coffee and try to get together with them and they're just always busy. Well, all that means is not that you're inadequate and you're, you know, something's wrong with it. It just means their dance card's full. And so you got to go find somebody else where their friends moved out of town or something's happened so there's a space open on their dance card, right? right. And that's somebody then that you can then connect with. And if you're older, then, of course, people, their dance card is more full, right? So, but there's people out there that are looking for a relationship, and you can find people that you can have good relationships with, you can have fun together, uh, you can enjoy them, you can have, again, feel safe with them, uh, you can uh, just have good times together, and having some people like that, you know, it's so much more rewarding in the long run, you know, than... Having exciting experiences. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. uh, but again, we're raised, we, we have a culture where on the media, excitement is equated with uh, fun and uh, the good life. In fact, uh, you look at uh, like the Indiana Jones type of character, right? Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of women think that's the type of person I want somebody who's exciting, or the guy wants the woman who's exciting, right? Well, they leave you in the end. They don't stick around right because they're moving mm-hmm. out the more excitement somewhere else and they're not the type of person you want uh i would tell singles always you know that boring person really is the person that's going to make the best mate long term you know the one right. who's not so exciting They may be a little bit on the boring side but you're going to find they're the one who's going to stick with you through thick and thin they're the one who's going to be reliable they're the one who's going to be uh, uh the person that's really going to make you happy long run it's about uh we get sold a good a bill of goods through our through our movies and our media and stuff as to what's going to make me happy, wow. and um, I think that's why so many people are having such transient relationships and uh, are not very satisfied with their life. I think the other thing is is people think that they're looking for somebody that's going to make them happy, and that's another big myth that people run into. No human being is going to make me happy.
0: You right. make yourself
1: happy, and they will have things about them that will satisfy some of my needs, but no human being is going to satisfy all of my needs. Mm. I have to have other things, other places uh that I can. I like my wife; she's got some, her girlfriends, she's got a group that she works with. I got my band I play with. I got other things I do. You know, I got this here. My wife has no interest in watching me on any of my interviews or anything, <laughs> which is okay. Yeah. We could in other ways, you know? So you find that your partner is not going to meet all of your needs and you hear so often, well, you're not meeting my needs. Well, maybe you're putting too much on this person. Maybe you need to find some other people that will meet some of those things where that your partner has a deficit in that area so that when you do get together, the needs that this person is meeting is going to be satisfying because the other parts of you are whole as well.
0: I I think, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's it's good to have, uh, you know, friends and where you can partake one day, yeah. and your spouse the other, and and live all over you know because you all need those things.
1: And, and again, it used to be you had those kinds of people all around you. Yeah, you, know, you, you go back, you know, eighty years. And yeah, you had lots of people in your environment—aunts and uncles, or neighbors, or people you grew up with—that met those different needs. And and now, especially you know, in the last fifty years, people have lost all of that. Again, people grow up so isolated. I mean, I can got my garage door opener. I got my things in my ear, my earbuds, and I go to work and I come home and I can spend the whole day without a, any kind of interaction with other people, right? Or very superficial interactions.
0: Yeah small talk, like small talk. And, yeah. and just, I get, I get what you're saying. Mm. I got, I, I have one question. You that has experience helping other couples and marriages. I, I often find myself uh, giving advice to, to, you know, and I get a lot, uh, uh, uh asked a lot because I've been married for, for eight years now. And, and, you know, they're always asking for advice and, I always tell them like if you if you're if you're married, then you know, you talk to somebody who's married who can identify what you're going through. Right. You you can't, you know, really talk to about your marriage to somebody who's not married because they wouldn't begin to found the understanding, you know. I, I you know. Yeah. which well,
1: is why it's nice to have some couples' friends, right?
0: Yeah. And I also I always tell them like, you know, you can be in a relationship for 8 years and not be married but being married and be in a relationship are two different things am you know, i am i wrong for for giving that advice uh, okay
1: i'm not exactly sure you mean you can be married without being married you know like 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 the work wife or whatever
0: no no like okay so someone who's married is getting advice from somebody who's not married
1: well I, it's I, it, it depends, you know. Uh, you, you know, I, I mean, a therapist who's been trained in all this stuff uh, probably is going to be okay. Because again, a lot of the issue—it's kind of like going to a gynecologist. Do you have to have a woman gynecologist to deliver your baby? Because mm. he's never had, delivered a baby. Well, I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of great guys out there that that can do just a fine job because through their education and stuff, and through their experience, they've learned a lot of the problems and a lot of the issues involved, right? So. It's possible to have a, a, a good per, a person who understands relationships and stuff uh, who's not married. It depends upon why you're going to them. Uh, if you're going there because you have a hard time negotiating, maybe you need to learn negotiation skills uh, mm. with your with, with your partner. Uh, some might be an area of your relationship where maybe this person has no experience or knowledge. So I think it really depends upon the specifics of what you're talking about. Mm. Um, like fair fighting, you can learn that from uh, most people. They don't have to necessarily um, know how to be married in order to teach that. Um, again, you have to have a person who's willing to learn it, though. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah not not More, everybody's worse. willing.
1: Not everybody's willing. I mean, yeah. the, the, you you find in marital counseling, uh, uh, the, the one spouse will bring the other person to you to fix them, right?
0: Yeah, one hundred percent
1: here's this person fix this person so they'll be be what I want right
0: but that's normal they always want to I get what you're saying Um, but usually both
1: people need to work on it
0: right yeah
1: Yeah. it's it's not a single person issue usually
0: they they like to uh, they like to say that you know it's a hundred and hundred each person has to put a hundred a hundred but I find that sometimes so unrealistic because you can you know sometimes you get cheated out yeah you know, with the understanding that some days you're probably going to do more than the other. It, it
1: is, uh, you know, and again, that's why it's important early on to find somebody who has the capacity for the type of relationship you're looking for and not just do you focused on are they exciting or sexy or whatever, but do they have these other qualities which, mm. unfortunately, because you're young and stupid when you pick your mate, you know, you usually aren't looking at that type of stuff, right? Uh I <laughs> I, I joke uh, a lot when I'm waiting in a line, and uh, you know the person will apologize. Well, I'm sorry for making you wait for so long. And say, well, you know, I, I've been married 49 years. I'm a patient man.
0: Can we? Yeah. Can, can you? Can you give uh, uh, for everybody who's listening and watching? Can you give you know uh, a uh, a brief description on 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 your uh, background because you know some people would find it and say, what is he talking about? Or what yeah. is he saying? And I think you know you just reading your research and reading what I've got, you really know your stuff and, and you make a lot of sense in where you know the public you know sometimes we we, we, we have our, our our head up our, uh, up our tush, right and we're not able yeah. to realize the simple things that the advice you've been able to give us for this whole episode.
1: Well, yeah, and it is a problem because a lot of times people don't want to hear it mm, because preach. they're so they're so immersed in what media and the culture has sold them as to what happiness is all about. You know. Uh again, we're in a culture that's very mechanistic, you know. Uh I'm just a little machine. When I'm dead, I'm gone. So my purpose is to be here and get as much good stuff as i can good stuff means excitement and entertainment and you know all about me you know they they joke that that's why your your arms come in right because it's all about me (laughs) getting all the stuff i can get right yeah uh and it, it turns out there's more in life than that in fact in fact let me well you asked about my background i i uh uh, my original degrees were biology and the uh, chemistry math minors. I was interested in animal behavior. I've been interested ever since I was a kid, used chickens, rabbits, you know, dog, parrot, you know, cats, all that stuff. Uh, so I was interested in animal behavior, had a friend of mine who was a counselor, a good friend, really liked what he was doing. So he got me interested in going and getting my master's in counseling, specialized in anxiety disorders for 20 years. And, needed to get my co- kids through uh, college, so I took a job at a little local college teaching psych and uh, did that for 20 years, and now I write wow. and teach and do different stuff. So, yeah, so I've been interested in emotions and all that stuff all, all my life. Uh, it's been fascinating. And so in this most recent book, I, I wrap up with the three things that make you happy, and we've been talking a lot about the one, the relationship, which is the big one, but the other two things, the second one is purpose, having a purpose in life mm-hmm. and purpose can be very simple. You know, I'm going to, I'm here to raise my kids. I'm here to sell the most widgets I can. I'm here to be the best you know, musician I can be or whatever, or it can be broader. Uh, I'm here to somehow contribute, you know, to society, to make people's lives better, to create meals that people will really enjoy, uh, I mean, part of my purpose in life, and you can have more than one. I mean, my kids were part of my purpose when they were growing up. Uh, part of my purpose is, you know, helping people. Uh, and the broader the purpose, usually the more successful and happier you are. And then the third one is the hard one to define because it's a little bit squishy, and that's meaning. So having meaning in life. Meaning has to do with the what we call the existential, my existence part of you is there a God? Is there not a God? What's the purpose of life? What really makes people happy? Why am I here? Why is there something rather than nothing? So those kind of big questions. We grew up in a culture where we don't even think about those questions very much anymore, because we're so focused on, again, entertainment and, you know, just the more superficial stuff. And yet when bad stuff happens, that's what gets you through it and helps you Give context to your life with all of the uh, positive and negative things that you experience. Uh, I know one of the things, and I just mentioned it very briefly in the book, but one of the things I like people to think about is just some of the near death experiences and research that's been going on. I have uh, one research that I put in there of a very large sample, and they come to the conclusion that there's something going on. We can't explain it. I mean, this whole thing got started in the 70s with the uh, a guy named Moody who wrote a book, Life After Life. And a lot of people now have been kind of paying attention to people who have these experiences that say there's, you know, maybe there is something after we die. Maybe there is some kind of a spiritual realm. And if there is, maybe I need to work that into my belief system somehow. Now I'm not going to get into any specifics because that's up for people to explore in yeah. their own. But I, but I opened the door that maybe there is some meaning to your life beyond just, you know, having a sexy maid or, you know, having the most fun I can have or making money or things of that nature. Uh, If there is, and it's a little bit bigger than some of those superficial things, then that's something that, again, helps to uh, enrich your life along with the relationship and my purpose. But those, these three things, by and far more than anything else, relationship, purpose and meaning. If you have those, then you do well in life. And when you look at, again, especially the younger generation, what are they lacking? They're lacking purpose relationship and meaning. And again, that explains a lot of the anxiety and anger and other stuff that's seems to be increasing in our culture.
0: Yeah. You know, I've recently had uh, a gentleman on the podcast all the way from Australia. Uh, mm-hmm. I still haven't released the episode, but uh his name was he was an older gentleman. His name was Ian uh I think Waterspoon. Uh, I apologize if I bust his last name, but he's an older gentleman that and where uh, he read a book and, and while reading this book, he had a certain enlightenment and where, mm-hmm. you know, he quit his job and started a journey helping others create a uh, profit foundations mm-hmm. uh, to help uh, men with mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, I had him on the podcast. He's older and he's telling me, you know, it brought me to tears because, you know, he he's dying of cancer like, mm-hmm. again and, and, you know, and. In the episode, uh, I had to stop it several times because he's he's uh he has blood, cl- he's coughing out blood clots and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you know, he you can see, although he's uh, he's going through what he's going through, yeah. he still has this purpose of helping others,
1: right? And that gives meaning to his life. And again, he's got a, a, a wider view, and in spite of what he's going through, I'm sure that allows him to go through that differently from somebody who's got a very you know who does not have a very clearly uh, thought out sense of why i'm here and those types of things i i, I mean i'll just share this last weekend uh, i went into the er with a cardiac problem i've got cardiovascular stuff oh, and I'm, I'm i'm doing fine i got my heart monitor on so my heart was going down it got it got down to about 37 beats of, you know i wow. mean which wish they're all getting concerned about it you know but you know uh, I'm at peace with all that stuff. I have no problem with that. You know, if if I live, I live. If I die, I know where I'm going. You know, and it's a different attitude from people who get scared to death over every little thing. And when you read these millionaires, there's one guy who's spending you know hundreds of thousands of dollars every year on MRI, just trying to live it forever. Yeah, you know, it's yes. it's a it's a pathetic life to live, kind of like Howard Hughes who had all that money and. <laughs> you know, germ phobic and ended up in a dark room just all by himself you know at the end of his life uh, yeah. it's uh you know, coming to accept life what it is and putting some context in it is very important and if, if a person who's listening to this hasn't done that then i would just encourage you to take some time to you know talk to people do some reading think about that you know how, how do you put context into your life
0: i i i feel that 100 percent. i had a gentleman called uh daniel jackson Mm-hmm. He's a spiritual mediator, mm-hmm. and he and he's talking about like how. Uh, okay, so like he's talking about how the spirits going in, go inside of him, and he becomes a, a vessel he, of.
1: He's a medium, yeah,
0: yeah. So you know, he talks about that he has come into this life several times, mm-hmm. you know, through other vessels, bodies, cetera, and. You know, I just speaking on what you're saying, man. Like, I'm 34, and I I wouldn't want to come back to this <laughs> life, honestly. Like, I, I'm I'm checked out. I'm checked out just because you know it's uh it's surreal that the world we live in. You know, and it, it, you know it,
1: it it is, but but you can find joy and peace, yes, even yes. within within all the stuff that's going on around us. Yes. And it's a matter, you know, that's part of, you know, that's one of life's tasks, right? How do I find people to surround me? I mean, I've got a small group that I've been meeting with for over 20 years. You know, I know, you know, some of them have come and gone, but they've, you know, they know me really well. You know, when I went in the hospital this weekend, you know, they were all, you know, they're checking in and stuff and it's, you know, I feel loved. I feel like I'm accepted and I have a place and, you know, if I leave tomorrow, so be it yeah. but you know while i'm here i'm enjoying what i'm doing i'm helping people and i do have meaning and purpose in my life as well Correct. as relationship and so that gives me a piece that's hard to explain to other people you yes. know who, who don't have it uh, but it's there it can be obtained but you have to go out and find it you can't yeah it's not yeah. going to come come to your door knocking
0: i wonder you know and this is a question i guess has uh Emerge in my mind numerous of time throughout the years you know is it better to have a a, a life uh with a roller coaster of emotions than just to, to you know live a dull life that has no you know beating points
1: well you got to be comatose or dead in order <laughs> to have that right uh you're gonna have emotions I think the question is more what kind of emotions you want Mm -hmm. you know you can have that roller coaster that drama or you can have you know peace but peace doesn't mean you don't ever have excitement i mean you certainly have points of joy you have points of excitement points of fun uh but again you come back down and at the end of the day you can settle down and there's just a contentment and a peace and 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 that's i think kind of your base point and then from that then you go out and you do things and yeah you have you have interest you know like I said unless you're dead or comatose <laughs> uh you, you, you're going to have things you want your things you want yeah, to do correct and, and, and things that will bring you joy and so find things that bring you joy in life uh but at the same time do it within that context of having you know your relationships and you know your your purpose and meaning so that um you know in between those nodes of excitement and uh you know fun you also have that that you, you go to bed at night and you're at peace you yes, know, you, yes. you sleep soundly you wake up refreshed you know your dreams are positive you know
0: yeah before we go uh can you if you had one you know word of advice to mm-hmm. anyone you know not any category in particular but just going through something you know difficult challenging or it's just having trouble letting go or certain aspects just anything what what are in your 20 plus years doing what you're doing you know understanding these anxiety anger emotion journey what if, what, if, what got, advice if would you if, give
1: them if, if you've got stuff going on in your life and you're feeling stuck uh i mean certainly there's a lot of things you know like like my book that help but get some help go find somebody who deals with whatever it is you're dealing with and uh you know, have them help you. You know, there's no reason to stay stuck and, and to stay in pain when there are proven solutions and help out there. You may have to go through two three people to find the right person. Uh, and nowadays, uh, with the Internet, there's people that do Internet counseling uh, that can be just as effective as, you know, face-to-face if you live someplace where, you know, you don't have local resources. So a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, a lot of help. So don't stay in pain. You know, get unstuck. Find somebody to help you
0: move on. Oh, There you have it, guys. Uh, before we go, please tell the, the, the people we can find your, your amazing book and your other other books.
1: Well, the easiest place to go to my website, it's ywhyemotions.com. So whyemotions.com has links to my books, uh, some free stuff, some free MP3 downloads for relaxation tapes and links into my uh some interviews and youtube things and so it's uh, why com has got got everything to do with me
0: boom there you have it ladies and gentlemen go go get his book uh why do you feel the way you do is out now uh go support him go get his book go get you know some mental help relationship whatever you need the help is there uh obviously he has more than enough knowledge to to help you and uh Make sure you go like subscribe to Talk TV. Go follow me on Instagram, Mister Dreamspire10. I'm all guys. Have a good night.